How far would you go for love? If you're the devious duos featured in season two of Criminal Couples, the answer is deadly. Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson. This season on Criminal Couples, discover the darker side of desire in a special collection of episodes curated from across the ParCast network. Enjoy this exclusive clip from the first episode. If you like it and want to hear more, be sure to follow Criminal Couples, free and only on Spotify. Due to the graphic nature of these crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of child abuse, sexual assault, violence, and murder. We advise extreme caution for children under the age of 13. This episode references Munchausen syndrome by proxy, which is an outdated psychological term. Today, healthcare professionals refer to this syndrome as factitious disorder imposed on another. Can you feel that? the stirrings of love in the air? It's almost Valentine's Day, meaning it's the perfect time to put the spotlight on some of true crime's most notorious criminal couples. I'm Vanessa Richardson, and for the next 12 weeks, this series will explore several devious duos whose love and crimes are decidedly star-crossed. From bank robbers to serial murderers, we'll see all the reasons why love makes us do, well, crazy things. In today's episode, taken from Spotify original Crimes of Passion, we're covering the romance between Gypsy Rose Blanchard and Nicholas Godijohn. After years living under her mother's thumb, Gypsy Rose desperately wanted to make friends her own age. She tried online dating and matched with Nick. He was her lifeline until the relationship turned deadly. In late 1990, 17-year-old Rod Blanchard found himself in a difficult situation. He'd gotten a curly-haired 24-year-old named Claudine Petrie, who everyone called Dee Dee, pregnant. Because they were both from a conservative parish in Louisiana, Rod felt he had no choice but to marry Dee Dee before their baby was born. The couple wed quickly, but Rod didn't love Dee Dee. Although he wanted to be part of his child's life, he couldn't stay married to someone he didn't see a future with. He filed for divorce before his daughter was even born. Despite their relationship struggles, Dee Dee kept Rod's last name and planned to pass it on to their daughter. She struggled through the rest of her pregnancy alone. Then on July 27, 1991, gave birth to a baby girl named Gypsy Rose. The family rejoiced when doctors gave the newborn a clean bill of health. But just three months later, Dee Dee brought Gypsy Rose back to the hospital. She was convinced that her daughter had sleep apnea. Medical professionals didn't see any evidence of the disorder, but they didn't want to question the young mother, so they treated the baby with a breathing machine. Rod, too, trusted his ex-wife. In response to the news, He started sending $1,200 in child support each month. It's unclear if Dee Dee actually believed Gypsy Rose had sleep apnea. Either way, during that hectic visit to the emergency room, something must have clicked in her mind. When she claimed her daughter was sick, nurses gave her sympathy and Rod gave her money. Gypsy Rose's illness meant Dee Dee's social and monetary gain. Soon, 
what first appeared to be motherly concern became something much more sinister. Over the next five years, Dee Dee's claims about Gypsy Rose's health grew increasingly extreme. Despite a complete lack of evidence, she told Rod that Gypsy Rose had a chromosomal defect that caused asthma, epilepsy, and muscular dystrophy. Later, numerous psychologists suggested that Dee Dee Blanchard experienced a psychological phenomenon known as Munchausen syndrome by proxy. Before I continue with Dee Dee's psychology, please note, I am not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but I have done a lot of research for the show. According to a 2018 article published in the British Journal of Psychiatry, Munchausen syndrome by proxy is a type of child maltreatment in which a parent makes up or induces health problems in their children. Although the cause of the syndrome is poorly understood, the article theorizes that these types of parents have insecure mental representations of caregiving and care-eliciting relationships. In other words, these individuals don't have a healthy understanding of how people exchange love and care. Although relatively little is known about Dee Dee's childhood, it's possible she experienced some kind of abuse or neglect that led her to internalize a predatory conception of motherhood. Instead of parenting in a positive way, she created and enforced a relationship with rigid roles. Gypsy Rose had to be a sick child, and Dee Dee had to be her doting mother. Of course, that wasn't the only thing Dee Dee was after. According to Dr. Mark Feldman, a professor of psychiatry, Part of Dee Dee's agenda appeared to be a malingering, trying to get money out of the fraud, but most of it seemed to be her pursuit of attention and control. Dee Dee sought to profit off her daughter's supposed illnesses and wanted the sympathy that parents of sick children inevitably receive. When Rod sent her money and praised her motherly devotion, he thought he was doing the right thing. Unfortunately, he was giving Dee Dee exactly what she wanted. Worse yet, Rod never asked to look at Gypsy Rose's medical records himself. If he had, he would have noticed a pattern. Dee Dee took their daughter to a vast array of doctors, but rarely visited the same physician more than a few times. This was likely because as soon as a doctor questioned Dee Dee, she would stop going to their office altogether. Even though some physicians might have denied Gypsy Rose treatment, none were suspicious enough to intervene. For the most part, Dee Dee had medical professionals fooled. They provided her with inhalers, epilepsy medication, and multiple wheelchairs. By the time Gypsy Rose was seven years old, her mother rolled her around almost everywhere they went, despite the fact that Gypsy Rose could walk perfectly well on her own. As for Dee Dee's family, they, like Rod, remained in the dark. She convinced everyone that Gypsy Rose was a sickly child, even Gypsy Rose herself. It's impossible to know exactly what happened when Dee Dee and Gypsy Rose were alone. However, one thing is certain, Gypsy Rose trusted her mother. As a child, she fully believed that she suffered from asthma, epilepsy, sleep apnea, muscular dystrophy, and a new diagnosis, leukemia. 
Gypsy Rose stayed in her wheelchair because her mother convinced her she was too weak to walk. She never spoke at doctor's appointments because Dee Dee told her to keep quiet. She took the medications she was given because she thought they would cure her phantom diseases. Unfortunately, the pills had another more disturbing purpose. Between epilepsy medications, sleep aids, and a number of other unnecessary drugs, Gypsy Rose spent her days in a constant fog. Most of the time, Dee Dee kept her so sedated that she was nearly unconscious. She had no idea what was going on around her. Dee Dee did everything she could to make Gypsy Rose look sick, including shaving her head to give her the appearance of a chemotherapy patient. To stave off any suspicion on Gypsy Rose's part, Dee Dee told her daughter that her hair would fall out anyway, and she only buzzed it to keep it nice and neat. Dee Dee held the clippers next to her daughter's scalp. It had been too long since the last shave, and Gypsy Rose's hair was growing in thick and dark. Dee Dee cursed herself for not tending to it sooner. Starting near her daughter's forehead, Dee Dee sheared the shiny, healthy hair off her daughter's scalp. When she was finished, Gypsy Rose once again resembled the person Dee Dee so desperately wanted her to be, a sick, helpless child. She pulled a knitted beanie over her daughter's head and breathed a sigh of relief. The act of shaving was really one of reconciliation. It was a way to bridge the gap between Dee Dee's fantasy world and reality. If Gypsy Rose looked like she had cancer, then she had cancer. If Dee Dee had a suffering child, then she had someone to take care of. She had a purpose. She had a way to get attention, sympathy, and money. She couldn't let that go. Dee Dee had her daughter fooled, but her extended family eventually grew concerned. After Gypsy Rose finished second grade, her mother pulled her out of school. Gypsy Rose seemed happy enough, but she didn't talk much, and with every passing day, she fell further behind both academically and socially. Dee Dee controlled her every movement and practically never left her side. The family did believe Gypsy Rose was sick, but they also saw Dee Dee as controlling and overbearing. Tensions rose, and Dee Dee's parenting became a point of contention. Dee Dee had a simple solution. Just as she had with prying doctors, she cut off any family members who questioned her behavior. Before long, she was avoiding every single one of her relatives. She could hardly go out in public without running into someone she didn't want to see. She decided that if she wanted more privacy, she had to move. At some point during the late 1990s or early 2000s, she packed up and drove Gypsy Rose about two hours north to Slidell, Louisiana. Dee Dee didn't know anybody in Slidell. She and her daughter were miles away from anybody who knew Gypsy Rose personally, which meant her sick fantasy could play out uninterrupted. Thanks for listening. Follow Criminal Couples to finish this episode and hear more. Catch a new episode every Monday, free and only on Spotify. Spotify.